Hey everybody, it's Jason. Welcome or welcome back to the Mosaic Church Podcast. At the end of this podcast, please take a moment to connect with us on social media. It's a great place to learn more and to see what's happening at Mosaic. Most importantly, hope the following message encourages and inspires you to take a new step on your faith journey. Enjoy. Well, if you're just joining us, or perhaps you've been away for a little while this summer, we have been working through all Ten Commandments. Uh, we've been learning this big, huge idea that most of us really don't think about the Ten Commandments often. Uh, very few, or most none of us can name all Ten Commandments. If you, and we were here for week one, I asked you the ingredients of a Big Mac. We knew them, and most people had like maybe two commandments they remembered. And so really, the Ten Commandments aren't something that have been in our, really the forefront of our thought life, even as believers, or if you're new to your spiritual journey. We know of them, but we don't necessarily know them. And so we've been exploring them for the last uh, five weeks. We're now moving into week six, which is a pretty simple one about murder, but it's not as simple as you think. What we've been learning in the Old Testament is that we're learning that these 10 commandments, these 10 keys for living, were now transferred and actually in the New Testament, Jesus, we see, is expounding and the apostles are expounding on what's being said when God was giving these very, very important pieces of understanding. And this week, the sixth commandment about murder is the most clear of all the commandments, or so it shall seem. Our verse for today, I'm even going to have you flip there because it's four words long. It's Exodus 20, verse 13. You shall not murder. Four words. Four words which the majority of people who are here right now are going to say, duh. Like, I understand that. I get that idea that, that murder is wrong. I learned from a young age that, that I don't, do that. That's not something that humans are not something. I don't take the life of another human. But I want to go somewhere before we even dig into this because you may not know some of these statistics. Did you know by the time an average child finishes elementary school that he or she will see, elementary school will see 8,000 murders on television? 8,000. And by the time that same child is 18, we'll now see 200,000 violent acts in entertainment. I just want you to process this for a second because we're not even getting to the fact of movies. This is just on the air. They walk into the room. Even if you are like, I know you're the extra special parents and let your kids see that, uh, but they still see it. And so by the time that someone's 18, 200,000 times just in television alone, they are experiencing violent acts, and that's not even including the video games that they play. Now, if you're not familiar with what's happening in the world of gaming, um, gaming right now and for a long time, the biggest thing has been first-person shooters. And first-person shooters, is like you, it's like you see your hands and your arms, and you have a gun, and the purpose of first-person shooters is to kill everybody and win. And most of these games, as they play them, blood is squirting, violent acts are happening, and there is laughter and joy if they can humiliate people upon killing and upon the death. So there's humiliation, walking up behind someone and putting a gun to their head and blowing their head off. There's a joy to that, a laughter as they communicate to each other, as they humiliate others in 
gaming. So let's just add gaming. Let's say you get 20 kills per game, which means you're really good. Uh, 20 kills per game, and you're playing this game, let's say, I don't know, 50 times a day, and let's say you play three to four times a week, you start to see how the violent acts are starting to add up. Not to mention what we are hearing in music, not to mention what we're seeing on TV, not to mention what we're hearing in the news. We've become so desensitized to murder, to violent acts, that we don't even pay attention really to it anymore. I don't typically watch the news often because it just depresses me, but I do find I need to do it to be able to be, stay tuned to what's happening in our culture. So usually in the morning, I will watch Fox 6 News. I can't remember the last time somebody wasn't murdered in Milwaukee on the news. And maybe if you're a news watcher, you, you understand what I'm saying. I can't even remember a time that there wasn't a violent shooting, a violent act, there wasn't some robbery, some attack, someone beaten down. I can't remember a time in which there wasn't some violent act in the neighborhood just southeast of us, where some of us come from. I grew up in, like, our community has just, like, we look at the news like, oh, yeah, there's more murders. We don't see that oftentimes as someone's son or daughter or mom or dad or friend. We don't really think about it anymore. When we watch TV, we don't see that human on there as like, oh, you know, it's just acting. It's just a play acting thing. But is it possible that all of this media and everything that we're coming to has us so desensitized that we're just becoming complacent? We're complacent with murder. The funny thing is, though, about this is that 79% of Americans believe that TV violence actually results in someone committing violence. 79% of Americans believe, listen to this, 79%, which means 8 out of 10 of you believe that if you watch or are hearing something, that will move somebody towards violence. Now, does it or does it not is not the argument of today. Today, we're discussing this fact that we are in a culture in which we are becoming so complacent to violence that we're kind of just meh, kind of okay with it kind of okay with the fact that people are getting shot on TV all the time. But this is where it gets a little tricky because one of the things that Gen Z is having to live through is the fact that they have to go through lockdowns because of mass shooters in schools. They have to now go and practice, and teachers have to practice, how do we protect our kids when a gunman enters our school, when a gunman enters our churches, when a gunman enters any area, we now have to worry about this mass shooting. We have to worry about the problem that, that our children are not safe. If I go to a certain area of a certain town, I'm not safe. In fact, when I drive anywhere, am I necessarily safe? So are we desensitized or are we just desensitized to things that pertain to me? Like, I don't like that, so now I'm sensitive to it, right? So I'm sensitive to the fact that young children should not be attacked, which we all, I hope that you are because I highly am. But are you sensitive to the fact that there's another murder that happened just south? Are we becoming so cold but still care about what we care about, that we have now started to live a split life, kind of, in our idea of violence, that this is okay, but this is not. And we have now created a culture that is a hot, flaming mess. Now, the majority of the people here today, I hope, well, maybe not hope, welcome if you are, 
All right, you're saying murder isn't a problem for me. I don't really think about it. It's not a problem. Yeah, I watch it sometimes, but I don't actually do it. Like, that's not my thing. Stealing stuff is my thing, but, but murder's not, right? Uh, skipping the Sabbath, that's my thing, you know, but, but this is not one of my things. But you're actually going to find out today as we explore the word of God is that it actually might be your thing. That murder is deeper and has a deeper meaning and what God is teaching us actually goes to something that we don't actually process and think through. That all people are valuable because they're made in God's image. Let me say that again. All people are valuable because they are made in God's image. In Genesis, we see that God makes all of creation, but humans are created differently. We'll make man in our image. There's a different element to us. And if you look in all of nature, of course, we are different, right? So there's a different element to us. We are eternal beings that God breathed into us that we are eternal, and with that eternal bit, we have this totally different way of reasoning and emotions and feeling and thought, different than all of creation. Humans are made different. And so we are called made in God's image, separates us from all of humanity, and he gives us a role in Genesis to rule over it, to care for it, to care for, the, for our planet, because it was made and for us to take care of. So this different image means that we are all valuable. And if you're a Republican, that means Democrats are valuable. If you're, if you're a Republican, Democrats are valuable. If you're a Democrat, Republicans are valuable. If you're pro-life, pro-choice is valuable. If you're pro-choice, pro-life is valuable. Because we start to say, you're valuable until I don't agree with you and now I don't like you. All people are made in God's image whether you agree with them or not. Now, this has tension to it. This has tension to it because there's tension about, well, I don't like what that person does. I don't agree with that person. I don't think that person's making the right choices. And I hear you on that, and I understand that, and the Bible tells us that's for God to take care of. Our job is to actually see humanity as image bearers. I'm gonna use that term for the rest of my, uh, my sermon, meaning that we're made in God's image. We are image bearers bearers. That means no matter what, you are valuable. What's really funny about this, I'm writing this sermon, and <laughs> confession time, forgive me. <clears throat> when I'm gone for a while, I tend to confess all my sins to you. So here I am writing this sermon, right? And I had to run to the store to pick up some items. And I go get my items or whatever, and I'm, I'm literally in the middle. I didn't even finish the sermon. Halfway through my sermon, and I'm writing, and I run to the pig, and I go to pick up some items for dinner or whatever. And I get back in my car, I'm driving back. And as I'm turning into my neighborhood, uh, there's a guy on a motorcycle, maybe part of the Harley you know, celebration or whatever it would be. He, is, he had parked into the turn lane to go into my neighborhood. So that we have a turn lane that comes off and into my neighborhood. And my first reaction is, hey, bonehead, what are you doing? Is my first reaction, which I spurred it out loud in the quiet of my car. And I, I <laughs> preacher, preach to yourself. And then all of a sudden, I realize I'm not even seeing him as an image bearer. I see him as someone who's annoying. The guy, I drive by him, and you know, I kind of give him the scowl, and he's on his, he stopped his motorcycle, he's on his phone texting or something, which, hey, don't text and ride a motorcycle, right? So he's doing the right thing, he's off, and, and my first instinct was that he was an enemy of mine. 
My first instinct was to not like this man. I know nothing about this man. I know nothing why he's probably, you are just in my way, so I'm annoyed. And here I am writing this sermon, and on my heart, I'm like, I gotta confess my sins so that you guys understand I'm in the same journey with you. Because I try so hard to view everybody as image bearers. I work hard at it, but here I just broke something so simple, his image bearer stopped because he was annoying to me. I mean, that's just me, right? You guys never do that? So here we have this tension. Because if I see people as image bearers, I'm going to see people differently. If I look at you, regardless if you're screaming at me, and I can see you as an image bearer, my heart is broken and sad instead of angry. If I see you as an image bearer, regardless of our agreement or disagreement, whether you're a Christian or non-Christian, whether you're on this side or that side, I see you as valuable because God created you. That is what God has called us to be and to do. But this is honestly part of our struggle. Part of the struggle comes when it attacks us. Like, How do you see someone as an image bearer who directly hurt you? Those people who have hurt you, who have broken you, who attack you, who abuse you, and we'll use the word for the, I don't know who anybody's in your head, I'm not saying this, but we use the word evil, who are doing evil to you. Are you telling me that that person is still an image bearer? And the answer is yes. Still created in God's image and is valuable. And that's a hard one because I like to like people who like me and I like to hate people who hate me because it's hard. If you annoy me, I usually tend to not like you. And I've confessed, this is if you're newer, you haven't heard the story, I have an issue called misophonia, which is I can't, sounds create an emotional reaction to me. Misophonia, it's a real thing, look it up. And so crunching noises of like, if you eat crunchers in a quiet room with me, I will absolutely, like, my skin is crawling. Like, I get this emotional response of anger and stuff. So how do I see an image bearer of 20, all of you getting a bag of cruncher chips and crunching right now when I talk, I would just scream and run out of the room, right? Like, I'm happy with you when we're good, and then when you're not what I want you to be, I turn my opinion of you away from being an image bearer. That is not what God has called us to do. In fact, he said the opposite. Jesus talks about this, Matthew 5, 43 to 48. He says this. You have heard that it is said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love only those who love you, what reward will you get? Are, you not e- are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Jesus is teaching this mind-blowing teaching to this group of people, which says, you've heard this said, which is an old proverb, Old Testament saying, that, that you love those who love you and those who abhor God, you hate them. And God is saying, actually, the truth of this is that you love those who love you and you love those who hate you. You love those who agree with you. You love those who disagree with you. Because God himself, the father of all of us, lets rain fall on the crops of evil people. God himself, the, the, the God of all the universe, says he himself allows the sun to rise and fall on all of his people, not just you. 
And so our job is to not choose. That is the Father's job of what destination people have. If they're sinning right or wrong, the Father and his word speaks to that. Our job is to love. And in love as believers, yes, sometimes we correct. Sometimes we say, brother, sister, change your ways. Love isn't being passive. Love is caring for somebody. Love is about sacrifice and caring. So the problem that we're exploring today, like, okay, cool message. This is about murder, bro. Obviously, you've been gone for too many weeks. We're going to get there. Because murder, by today's standard, means this, an unlawful, premeditated killing of one human being by another. Unlawful, premeditated killing of another human being. That is clear. God says, do not murder. You do not take another life because God is the giver of life. You don't have the right to take a life. But now Jesus teaches about it in Matthew 5, 20 to 21. So with that, you can turn to your Bibles or your Bible apps. Um, In the back, we could pop the lights for that. Uh, 5, 20 to 21. Uh, This is so instrumental as we are studying this passage because in this passage, we're going to find that Jesus is expounding on the Old Testament. In the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, he offers this amazing teaching about how we are to live this new life with him. He expounds directly in the Sixth Commandment about murder. He says this, You have heard that it is said to the people long ago, You shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. Okay, so here we are, you've heard it said. Obviously, it's Ten Commandments. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, raka, or that's like a slang, like a a terminology of of hate towards somebody, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in the danger, the fire of hell. This is an insanely difficult passage to follow. Because I was angry at a man who stopped his motorcycle to text. You have heard it said long ago, do not murder. And to this group, he's saying, okay, you're listening to me. I think you've got this. But I'm saying to you that the actual root of murder is the seed in your heart of hatred towards another person. And the hatred towards another person means you no longer see that person as an image bearer. Because if you saw this person as a literal child of God, your behavior and your thought pattern would be completely different. Even when something terrible is going on, this person is an image bearer or one who bears and created the image of God. God's created them for a purpose. And now Jesus is saying that anger and hate towards another is the same as murder. If you are angry, if you have hatred, if you harbor, you are the same as a murderer because that's the seed in which murder grows. I get the, uh, the honor of doing a lot of premarital counseling. In our premarital counseling, we talk a lot about, about how, you're, how this is going to go in marriage. Like for those who've been married for a long time, you know, uh, we know it's not what we thought when we were first getting married. First getting married, oh, I'm so in love. Love is all we need. This is so great. I'm so happy for the rest of my life. All I need is him. And, and you're like, uh-huh. And so I try to explain to them what really happens when you get married. It's not what you thought. And one of the things I tell them when we get married, I said, I have not had one couple yet, and I've done so many of these premarital. not one couple yet has sat in my chair and say, Pastor Jason, I cannot wait to the day we get divorced. I am excited. 
I am stoked. We're going to have a solid six and a half years, and then we are going to have a terrible breakup. Kids are going to go all different directions. I'm going to take half of his money. He's going to take half of mine. It's going to be terrible. We're going to leave wounded, and we really want you to marry us. What do you say? <laughs> what I do here in my time is how committed they are to each other, how excited they are, how they're ready to give their lives for one another, how everything is going to be, the future looks so, it's scary, but it's awesome, and we're going to do it together. All we need is love. And the truth I say is this. Here's the truth, my friends. The truth is, is no one's ever come to my room and said that, but the fact is, is that so many of us have to go through this painful situation. Where do you think it starts? And there's usually silence, right? Like, where does this start? Where does this idea come from? And I said, okay, in most cases, in most cases, it's not some huge event. It's small little things that have begun inside of the heart that over time start a crack. That crack gets wider and wider and wider. And instead of addressing the problem, more cracks are formed and your foundation starts to crack and crumble. And by the time that couple comes to me, I kid you not, by the time they come to me, it's almost too late. Because the foundation is completely shattered. Because for years and years and years, it's been little micro things breaking them apart. And it usually starts inside of the heart and it usually starts as not seeing the person as an image bearer. I see this person who I love oh so much as, oh, so you always going to leave the towel on the floor after you shower. Okay, that's fun. I'll pick it up for my new wife until it comes to 25 years. Pick up your towel! What is wrong with you? What in the name of all things that are good is your problem? Why well, you cannot hang the towel on the rack? And then you get in this big explosion and you stomp and slam doors and you sleep in one room and you sleep in the other room and there's yelling and fighting and the kids hear it. There's this absolute chaos. That's how murder is. Very rarely is it the big event that starts the whole cataclysmic movement, it's a small little seed inside of your heart that inside of this, you start to see people as not valuable. We become desensitized to the fact that they're image bearers. We start to not see things as a problem unless it addresses us, then we care, right? But we start to get this seed and like, I'm not gonna kill him, but man, I hate that person. You're already there. You're already there according to the word of God because the seed of the sin is as guilty as the action of the sin. And the seed and this action comes together and this new thing inside of us that's being birthed out of us is the sin of murder. The Hindelberg Catechism explains it this way. By forbidding murder, God teaches us that he hates the root of murder, envy, hatred, anger, vindictiveness. In God's sight, all such are disguised forms of murder. If this is the first time you've heard this verse, uh, if you're the first time hearing it, perhaps you've never heard of this like in the light of God's value. Maybe you've heard like don't murder, but you've never heard of it in the concept of God being valuable or God being image bearers. This might be a little bit shocking because all of us have been angry and we're honest, have hated in some form or another somebody. You know how you see it? Just go to a kid's playground. Kids are so innocent. Have you been to the playground? Have you seen how mean children can be? 
on the playground of inclusive, exclusive? Have you seen how mean people can be, how the big kids pick on the small kids? Maybe for you, are like, please stop talking, you're giving me a twitch. I was that kid, right? Like, have you seen these lovely little mini-me's can be? Don't tell me children don't sin, because they do. And the root of sin, if we look at it, is in all of us, which all this does is put a spotlight on the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because if you think that you're going to work your way through the Ten Commandments and win, like, oh, number six, I got it, incorrect. Number six spotlights that you're guilty. And you're guilty because you've committed it, even though you haven't done this. The root is there, let's say. Or if you have done that, you are there. The root is there, it's all there, and you need somebody to save you. The entire Old Testament, all 613 laws, point to the fact that we cannot ever earn our way to Jesus. Only Jesus can save us. And that's the power of the cross. And if we ever get tired of talking about Jesus and the cross, you don't understand how powerful the gospel is. Because I've already failed on a ride home from Piggly Stupid Wiggly (laughs) writing the sermon about people. And it just happens so quick. But you know, here's the bigger problem of this, my friends. It wasn't about the man on the motorcycle. It was the man that I went through there so quickly. And I sat there and started to think, why did I go there so quickly? And then I started to think, you know why? Because I think I'm more important than that person. I I need to get home. I'm I'm hurrying. I need to get here faster than this guy sitting here. And immediately, I'm greater than you, which now puts me in a place of the opposite of what God's called us to be, which is humble servants, sacrificial, and seeing everybody's image bearers. It's on me. That root that was inside of there is disgusting. It's embarrassing. I'm like, I should be better than this, but yet here I still am. God, I, and I, I need more of you. Like, I need more of a savior. Like, I need more help. <laughs> The closer you get to Jesus, the more you realize you're a bigger mess than you thought that you were. But the beauty is there's no guilt and shame in it. It's just repentance and his wonderful grace that surrounds us. The difference, though, with our grace is we understand that we're guilty is that it's very clear that we, though guilty, don't hold the shame, but we are called to be transformed. So it's not okay. I share a story not to say, hey, I'm happy with that. I share this story to say, I relate with you, my friends, to say this is a constant battle and a struggle and a journey that we all walk on together. And that's the beauty of our groups, our small groups. We sit in a group together and we don't sit and like whip ourselves like, oh, we're so terrible, so terrible. We confess to one another, we admit to one another, and we push each other to be greater. That's the joy of it. So this command Jesus says, don't kill. It's pretty clear. But I want to take a different approach to it. Instead of let's like saying, like, uh, let's avoid killing somebody, let's look at it a different way. We're going to transform this thinking into saying this. We are going to think about this as a positive action. And so today, will you commit, first of all, don't murder. Thank you. Second of all, let's take the command to love one another. Let's take this as a command to have an undying, unrelinquished love for people that doesn't stop regardless if they agree with you or disagree with you. Let's let's, let's stop loving people that are in our same camp. Let's stop loving people who are our friends. Well, don't stop that. Keep doing it. But go beyond that, as I'm saying. This is already here, Jesus says. Now I'm telling you to love your enemies and to love those who hurt you and love those who are not on your side. Jesus says this in John 13, 34 to 35. Jesus gives a new commandment. 
He says this, I give a new command that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are to love one another. There's zero place for hate, zero place for any of this irritation and frustration. There's no place for not seeing everybody as image bearers because Jesus loved, we love. So we have to love sacrificially. You have to love sacrificially of yourself, of your resources, of your time for people you don't like. Whew, boy, that's a hard one. You love sacrificially and give time and resources to people you don't like. You do that for people you do like. You do it for everybody because if you transform your mind is to seeing everybody as image bearers, it changes the way you see people. While I'm here, I'm going to take an aside for a second and go PG-13. And I'll make sure it's PG-13 for our littles who are in the room. Brothers and sisters, there's no room for us to see objects of people as sexual beings used on the internet for our own pleasure. You know what I'm saying right now. There's no room for it. There's no space for it because that person on that screen is an image bearer. That person on that website is an image bearer. That person in your workplace is an image bearer. That person that you see across the street from you is an image bearer. And perhaps part of the problem that our society keeps crumbling and moving apart in all these facets now in the world of sexuality is because we are taking these people as objects instead of these people as image bearers. And I've heard all excuses. Well, they put themselves on the internet. That's up to them. That's completely false. They are image bearers and sons and daughters of the living God, meant to be honored, respect, and lifted up. And maybe if we, as humans, start to treat humans with the value that God sees them at, I think the entire world would be transformed by the gospel. Because people want to feel valued, and value only comes from God and God alone. So brothers and sisters, I'm begging you as your pastor and your friend, Get away from the use of anything at all, anything that changes the view of a human that's not image bearer. And you'll hear me say these things. I will call females, call my sisters, because I do that on purpose. Sisters, because of the scripture that says we are brothers and sisters in Christ. So I think as an image bearer, this woman I'm speaking to is my sister. Would I type on anything for my sister? Uh, well, that's, I mean, I hope you wouldn't, but absolutely not, right? We don't, that's this, oh, my brother. You are my brother. Do you see what I'm saying here? Image bearers change the way that we see and interact. And maybe your journey of sin in this area starts because the image bearer factor may not be coming from anger, but it's coming from a different area. And anytime we see people as not our brothers and sisters created together for the beauty of what God has for us, things get really dark, really fast. Remember, no one ever comes to me and says, oh, I'm really excited when my life blows up and everything goes to place. I, I, I just want to just throw it all away. I don't really care about my life. It always comes at the last minute. I don't know how I got here. How did I get here? And I can usually trace the pathway and it starts with one small little thing that wasn't taken care of or confessed, wasn't in therapy for, wasn't talked about, hidden that now explodes into this major meltdown. It's the seed that kills us, my friends. And so I beg you, beg you to get away from it. Call it out. Get into a time of someone you trust. Confess your sins to one another. Speak life into one another. One of the joys I've had with Pastor Nick for all these years is we do this 
almost weekly. You don't know this, but we do this almost weekly. Together, we sit down. I'm like, dude, how you doing? What's real? What's going on? What's good? And there are things that we say that you'd be like, ew, we should maybe get rid of Pastor Nick. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I can't believe you guys say that. It's a safe place for us to process. And it's not like, oh, that's okay. Just keep doing that. Sounds like a really good idea. It's, brother, let me share with you. Can I speak a truth into you? And we confess to each other not to be excited about it, but to actually admit we are failures and we need the cross more. Brothers and sisters, that's what we are made for. Don't let seeds get planted into your heart that sprout to darkness as we see here. Because Jesus is very serious about the command but I want to celebrate as we end our time today about the grace of the cross. The failures of the first six commandments of which you have failed all six so far. You're like six for six, right? Six commandments, six failures. And you're like, Jason, this is the most depressing series I've ever been in my life. The series here is to show you the standard of our living God, the way we live in which we find joy, peace, and happiness on earth is to follow these commandments And when we fail, we go to the cross. And the the Ten Commandments put a spotlight on the fact that we are not good enough to earn your way to heaven. If you still have a false belief that there's some way that you can earn your way there, you have failed the Ten Commandments, therefore you cannot make it. And then Jesus said, what's the greatest commandment? Jesus says, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love others, your neighbor. Love others as yourself. Love God, love others. We've failed that so we're still not good. You can't earn your way there. The only way that we get to heaven is through Jesus Christ and the cross, the sacrifice that he's made, the confession that he is Lord and Savior who died, rose again on the third day. He's seated right now at the right hand of the throne of God. He's coming back, and he's coming back this time as my king. The crazy thing is this king is gonna look at the hot flaming mess of me and I'm seen as righteousness, and I'm seen as perfection, not because of my life, but because of the life Jesus lived. And so now, all that we're talking about, all the failure, all the motorcycle guys, has been taken because Jesus has saved me. At the end of the day, I can go to sleep at night because of that. Friends, that's the power of the cross, that's the power of Jesus. But at the same time, we have a job to do. Because when we sin, we birth sin into the world. When you sin, you birth sin into the world. Let's stop the spread. That's a term we want to hear again, right? Let's stop the spread. Stop the spread of sin in your life, in your family's life. Stop the spread of sin. Stop breaking down people by sinning. Instead, let's spread love because that's what God has called us to. Once again, thank you so much for listening. If you live in Southeast Wisconsin, we'd love to connect with you at our weekend gathering. For service time, directions, and to learn more about our vision to ignite a movement of love that transforms our community and the world, visit us at mosaicwi.com.